Hello and welcome. My name is Jeff and I'm a RN quality improvement specialist. I have uh, over 10 years experience as an RN in the acute care space um, from CNA, uh, RN to a supervisory role and as well as in a network level for, um, for nursing quality. Um, so that's my background. I'm going to give Claudia a quick second to give her background and then we'll go ahead and proceed with the session. I'm uh, also a quality improvement specialist with HSAG and I've been um, an RN for 35 years, I think. Uh, at most of that in the acute uh, care setting um, in the emergency department and behavioral health. I'm certified in behavioral health. That, that was the majority of my career before I went into ED and I've done clinical education and um, other other things as well. So um, we're really looking forward to um, working with you on your opioid stewardship today and, and how that how that plays into discharge planning with pain. So we're going to review a few examples of what you might typically see in patients requiring a pain management discharge plan and we'll uh, answer the questions of, you know, what are the pain management discharge plan needs of these patients and how do their, plan, their plans differ uh, based on their needs and their opioid exposure, as well as what what we should be looking for and assessing to plan for discharge from the first time we come in contact with them. So first we have Mary, and uh, Mary was admitted to the hospital for diverticulitis, and she's not taken an opioid reliever since post-op from a hysterectomy in 1999. Um, so she's considered opioid naive, and that means she's uh, had no opioids within the previous 90 days. All right, so and we're going to get more detailed about those terms um, in just a moment. Next, we have Harry, and Harry is two weeks post-stroke, and um, he'll soon be discharged from the SNF where he's, he's going to be rehabbing. Um, and he's, he's been taking oxycodone five milligrams four times daily uh, for five years following a work-related back injury. I'd like to talk to that doctor. Um, and he's considered opioid tolerant or opioid exposed. Let's get to the last um, example we'll use John. And finally, we have John. And he's two days post appy and he's uh, reporting severe pain at his surgical site. Um, and he's presenting with diaphoresis. He's sweating a lot, and he's got diarrhea and vomiting and goose flesh. So chances are he's in active opioid withdrawal. Uh, and he scored a six on that ROD tool that Dr. Springer showed us last session. So he's considered to have an untreated opioid use disorder. Um, so we're gonna refer to Mary, Harry, and John uh, as we apply quality discharge strategies uh, for man pain management with or without opioids. So let's look at some key points to keep in mind with patients who are opioid naive like Mary is. Um, an opioid naive patient is one, again, that hasn't taken opioids within the previous 90 days. And uh, it also implies that the patient is not chronically receiving opioids on a daily basis. So if prescribed opioids, it's assumed it's going to be for acute pain. Um, and of note for Mary, since she's opioid naive, uh, you'll want to know about this American Society of Anesthesiologists report. So they found that one in five opioid naive patients continue to use opioids three months after surgery. So what's wrong with that picture? Is it, well, if acute pain is defined as last, lasting less than 90 days, 
why would surgery patients still be taking their opioids after 90 days? So that's not acute pain anymore. <laughs> um, so that's something to keep in mind. We want to remember that starting a patient on opioids, that, uh, that comes with a responsibility of setting realistic expectations of what pain management uh, should be. So zero pain is not realistic um, and how it should be controlled. The, and with the patient um, con being continuously as well as comprehensively educated um, and off offered alternative pain management um, choices. So that educational support is so, so important because it really helps um, facilitate that discharge plan. Um, you gotta educate from the very beginning. So because you want them to understand that those opioids are only taken for a necessary amount of time, um, no more than three to five days. Uh, and uh, in addition, that, that same anesthesiologist report talked about what the top four modifiable risk factors are um, that are associated with um, persistent opioid use after surgery. Um, and that is smoking, bipolar, uh, depression, and pulmonary hypertension. So what does that have to do with discharge planning? Well, um, you want to reduce the likelihood of ongoing opioid use. So patients who smoke, you should really be encouraging and educating them about um, tobacco cessation. Um, those with pulmonary hypertension, you want to make sure that they're following through with their doctor um, after discharge for uh, managing their condition. And patients with bipolar and depression, they may need an adjustment pre-surgery with their medication um, and ongoing behavioral health support, obviously, after discharge. So here's some points to keep in mind uh, with patients who may be opioid tolerant, uh, like Harry is. So opioid tolerance is equated to a patient's uh, prior seven days of opioids um, being equal or greater than 60 morphine milliequivalents a day, um, and that's per the FDA. So it implies uh, that patients are chronically receiving opioids um, on a daily basis, routinely, not on a PRN basis, but routinely for longer than uh, one week or one week or longer. So opioid tolerance is associated with chronic pain um, as opposed to acute pain. Also, increasing doses can occur with acute pain, um, which has been termed acute on chronic pain. You'll, you'll see that often. So with acute on chronic pain, um, careful titration of acute pain doses can really help to prevent complications. And, and there are some excellent resources that we have on our resource page, OSP resource page for prescribing for acute on chronic pain. Um, and again, just remember that those top four risk factors for um, persistent um, use uh, are the same. All right, so to provide a quality uh, discharge and patient care, uh, recognition of, and diagnosis of that OUD, that um, opioid use disorder, is really vital for patients, especially with an untreated OUD. Um, so opioid use disorder is defined as a problematic pattern of opioid use that leads to serious impairment or distress, um, and it's diagnosed with a specific set of criteria from the DSM-5. Um, so clinically, if our patient John here showed um, a heightened tolerance to opioids um, that were being used for pain um, or an extreme response to pain that seems um, kind of out of, just 
kind of out of the norm for most. Um, it may indicate that he has an underlying OUD, um, but he would require uh, further screening, obviously, because you don't, don't want to assume just based on that. Um, so consider the RODS tool that Dr. Springer shared with us last session, or that opioid risk tool, um, or the SBIRT to screen patients for risk of OUD. And all of these are on our OSP research page. So in John's case, uh, if OUD has been untreated, it's untreated and, and it's discovered, this is really what you're managing initially. You're going to be managing your focus on the symptoms of opioid withdrawal and treating the acute pain associated with his appendectomy. Because this is what I've seen, and some of this is stigma related. Um, they'll start addressing that opioid withdrawal, but um, then they're really not addressing his acute pain. Um, so we want to make sure that we're doing that as well. So the, um, an IV opioid and, and or a short-acting oral opioid are both suitable for treating acute pain as well as addressing the, the initial opioid withdrawal. Um, but then fairly promptly, you'd want to consider um, medication for OUD treatment, um, it, even in the early phases of hospital. So, and this is called mood. You, you may know it as MAT. Um, mood is really the more acceptable term now because we realize it's an ongoing condition. Um, so medications for opioid use disorders we'll call mood. Um, so inpatient initiation of OUD treatment has been found to be very feasible, very effective, um, and it leads to better engagement for outpatient treatment. See, this is what I'm talking about during the hospitalization as well because um, that supports it all. Uh, and it helps to reduce ED admissions. Uh, and then your discharge plan for John obviously needs to include coordinating his outpatient treatment to prevent relapse. So making sure that there's a facility um, that he's ready to bridge to, that he can bridge to. Is it accessible to him? Um, can he get to it? Um, does he have transportation for it? Um, if he works, are there outpatient clinic hours compatible? With, um, or if he's transferring to a Smith even, um, for any reason, can they accommodate his um, mood regime? So those are all good questions to ask. So with all these patients, um, what does a quality discharge look like? Well, we know that uh, the first thing we always have to do, first things first, you gotta assess, right? We nurses know that. Um, with any plan, your assessment's really important. So keeping in mind those, these overarching principles is really important um, for uh, a pain management plan uh, for discharge, whether the patient's pre-hospital, in the hospital, getting transferred to a SNF, or going home. So consider your patient situation. You want to um, recognize uh, what their current situation is and collaborate with them to evaluate how uh, current pain and treatment is impacting their quality of life. Um, and you want to understand that there are times when you talk about this that um, they, a patient may feel like you're being very intrusive, uh, so they may not want to disclose everything about their health issues. Uh, they may feel like you don't need to know everything. Um, so um, you want to assure your patients that you're being non-judgmental and that you're really um, coming from a place of concern and safety um, and health for them. So, uh, and then take, you want to take time to address the patient and family um, concerns from the get-go, because we know that um, it's really important to do that in the beginning uh, with our interactions um, and assessments, because it saves time in the long run, right? And an ounce of prevention is worth a pound of cure. 
Uh, so be aware of your perceptions and stigma. This is really important because your attitude toward your patients um, who are dealing with um, chronic pain or pain of any kind uh, can and OUD can really affect um, their outcomes. Um, and at least one study has shown that nurses who had really good knowledge and attitudes regarding um, pain and chronic pain, their patients experienced more satisfaction. So we know that with satisfaction, that also will affect their pain so in a good way. So um, those are important traits. So what we want to leave you with, with these considerations, with these uh, patients that we highlighted, is considerations of questions to ask um, in regards to pain management discharge plans and for indications of sound opioid stewardship. Um, what pain management strategies are currently being used for the patients? Are the strategies effective? Are effective strategies continued once discharged? Um, how do you know that? Um, you know, these are the things that you can kind of look at your discharge planning process and evaluate. Next, and importantly, is opioid reduction and risk mitigation incorporated into individual plans of care and supported by the discharge plan for follow through? Um, this is really where the rubber meets the road with individualized care management uh, or pain management care plans for these three individuals that we described. Um, in Mary's case, for instance, if Altos or Eros, what strategies were used while hospitalized? Um, and she is transitioning to a SNF, not uh, having had opioids in that entire stay. How does her pain management discharge plan support that? Um, secondly, for Harry, ha um, he had agreed to say an opioid paper plan uh, during the hospitalization and received a TENS unit while he was admitted at the facility um, to help with his chronic pain. How does this plan get communicated to post-acute uh, post facilities uh, where he is going to rehab? And lastly, if John was induced with buprenorphine protocol for his OUD treatment while in the hospital, what happens when he's cleared for discharge for following, uh, following his appendectomy? Um, best practice is your organization partners with an opioid treatment program that provides a bridge service for him. Um, he gets seen by a peer support navigator who accompanies him to opioid treatment center. Um, so third, how does pain management discharge plan in my organization differ for a patient who is opioid naive and opposed, in opposed to opioid exposed. So this would really, uh, these are the considerations between Mary's and, and Harry's case, focus, focusing on that individualized uh, management plan like we considered. And lastly, for patient with OUD, how did you treat acute pain for John Wall uh, with an OU, uh, opioid use disorder? Was this communicated properly in the outpatient, to the outpatient providers as well. So these are some of the, the questions that really drive um, it, process improvement for these discharge planning.